enjoy classic radio on your iPod. Subscribe to the Big Broadcast at the iTunes Music Store. It's a free service of 89.3 WMKV, Reading, Ohio. Good afternoon. It is 29 degrees. I'm Mike Martini with the WMKV News. Four people are behind bars after a bank robbery at the Fifth Third Bank near Hyde Park Square this morning. Some undercover officers happened to be eating at a nearby restaurant and were able to respond to the scene quickly. Police say the suspects initially got away with a bag of cash, but tellers had dropped a dye pack into the bag. Suspects jumped into a car. When the dye pack exploded, they ended up throwing the bag of money out the window and then took off on foot. Officers chased the suspects throughout the Norwood and Hyde Park areas, and finally they were apprehended. The names of the suspects have not yet been released. Federal government announced recipients of the TIGER grants, or the Transportation Investment Generating Economic Recovery grants today. Not on the list, funding for a streetcar in Cincinnati. Cincinnati Mayor Mark Mallory and City Manager Milton Dahoney said in a press conference today that they will still pursue the project and consider other sources of funding. Milton, Kentucky, and Madison, Indiana did receive $20 million for a project to replace an 81-year-old bridge that spans the Ohio River between the two towns. Northern Kentucky, a Grant County ambulance overturned this morning while transporting a patient to the hospital. The accident occurred on U.S. 42 near Verona. Witness reported seeing two people removed from the ambulance and transported in a different ambulance. The extent of the injuries is unknown at this time, and it's also unclear what caused the crash. National News Today, Health Insurer Humana says it will cut another 1,400 jobs as it pushes to save money and adjust to a smaller enrollment. The Louisville insurer says it will balance the job cuts with some new hiring growth in areas like uh, pharmacy management and specialty products. But still, the net loss of 1,400 will amount to about 5% of its current workforce. Humana says it's trying to align its size with its membership. The insurer's total enrollment fell 11% last year. Wall Street today stocks rose for a second day in a row in a modest rally fueled by gains in health care stocks, strong earnings from farm equipment maker John Deere, and natural foods retailer Whole Food Markets. Dow Industrials finished the day up 40 points to 10,309 after gaining 170 yesterday. NASDAQ was up another 12 points today to 2226, and the S&P added 5 points to just under 1,100. Today was the fifth gain for the Dow and the S&P 500 in the last eight sessions, the sixth for the NASDAQ. Whole Foods was the top performer among the S&P stocks, up 12% today to $34.33 a share. John Deere was up 5% today to $56 a share. SanDisk was the second best performer in the index, up over 5%. Morgan Stanley analyst Adif Malik boosted his rating of the stock to overweight uh, from equal weight weight. The S&P uh, briefly crossed the 1100 mark for the first time since February 3rd and uh, nearly finished above that level, but for was able to stay right around that level. The index did finish above its 20-day moving average for the second straight day. Crude oil today was uh, up 32 cents to $77.33 a barrel. And gold was up 30 cents to $1,120.10 an ounce. The dollar was higher today. So that's what's uh, going on around the tri-state of the world. And now let's get George in on the party. George, how about a look at this date in history? Thanks, Mike. Here we go for February 17th, 1897. The National Congress of Mothers 
was organized in Washington, D.C. by Alice McClellan Burney and Phoebe Apperson Hurst. The group later changed its name to the National Congress of Parents and Teachers, or the NPTA, with local groups known as Parent Teacher Associations, or PTAs. 1933, Blondie boop she's one of our favorites on trivia. Uh, the title role and flapper in the comic strip Blondie married Dagwood Bumstead. The marriage took place three years after Chick Young's popular strip first debuted in U.S. newspapers. Later, Blondie, of course, went on to radio, television, and film fame as well. 1958, former New York Giants football star Frank Gifford signed a seven-year contract with Warner Brothers. It was a film deal. But it didn't make him the movie star that the studio expected, so Frank Gifford went on to broadcasting and had a lot of luck there with WCBS-TV in New York, then to WABC-TV in New York, on to network television as a play-by-play announcer, and then as color commentator of ABC's Monday Night Football. And 1965, comedian Joan Rivers made her first of many guest appearances on The Tonight Show, starring Johnny Carson on NBC. She later became Carson's permanent guest host until he signed a lucrative late night show she until she signed, excuse me, a lucrative late night show deal with the fledgling Fox Network many years later. That's a look at Today in History along with Mike Martini. I'm George Zahn. Thank you, George. In traffic right now, no accidents, no disabled cars. That's certainly good news. We do have a little bit of a backup north seventy five at Hopple, and again between Glendale Milford and two seventy five. South 75 slows up around the lateral through 74, and you're on the brakes again around Desert Charles to the Brent Spence Bridge. And then over on 71 northbound, we see some backups around Reading, uh, and then also uh, between 126 and Pfeiffer. Right now, uh, 28 degrees. You're listening to 89.3 WMKV. Stay tuned for Real Life Real Estate Investing coming up next. The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Well, good afternoon and welcome to Real Life Real Estate this is Jim Shapiro filling in for Vena Jones-Cox. She uh, is at a, a real estate seminar this week, and uh, I am her guest host. I'm pleased to be here today. Uh, we'll be, uh, I have a very special guest with me today, uh, uh, Elizabeth Brown, the director, the executive director of Housing Opportunities Made Equal, is joining me. We're going to be talking about fair housing questions. Uh, before we start, let me just uh, remind everybody, if you have questions, please feel free to call us inside the Cincinnati area. You may call us at 513-772-9658. And outside the area, you may call uh, toll-free at 877-772-9658 or that's 
WMKV. Today, unfortunately, I messed up and I did not bring my laptop. So we're not going to be taking questions on AskVena.com. If you have questions, we do ask you to please call us up. We'll be happy to answer your questions on the air. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you, Jim. Glad to be here. Uh, Happy to have you today. Uh, as As a starting, can you kind of give us a little overview on what is this issue of fair housing? Uh, can you help our listeners get an idea of, of what is the topic about and why is it important in our industry? Okay. Fair housing uh, tends to be a very general phrase, but from my point of view, it's a technical phrase that refers to the housing discrimination laws. Um, since 1968 in the United States, it's been illegal to discriminate in housing, which would include rental housing and I think today we're talking mostly about landlord-type issues. And um, on a, it's illegal to discriminate on a variety of bases. Most people think of it as the race issue. Clearly, it is illegal to discriminate or treat people differently based on race. But there are a lot of other protections. Um, the federal law protects people based on religion, based on their gender, male or female, um, based on their disability. You can't treat people differently because they're disabled. Or you can't treat people differently because they have children in the household. And this is all federal law. You know, it's enforced uh, by the courts. Um, HUD is the federal agency that is also charged with enforcement. And there are agencies like mine, which is basically a private nonprofit throughout the United States with the mission of helping to enforce these laws and ensure that people aren't discriminated against. So your organization monitors housing issues in the Cincinnati metropolitan area for compliance with fair housing law? Is that? That's it. Our mission is to eliminate illegal discrimination in housing and, um, People call us who feel that they might have been discriminated against, that something's wrong, something's not fair. We can talk to them about the situation. We explained, you know, what the laws, what the rules are to them. And we can help them gather evidence, which could include um, investigating how a landlord actually treats people by sending out folks that we call testers, sort of secret shoppers, to apply for apartments and see if they're told different things based on their race or based because they have children or one of the other protected classes. Do you also keep an eye on advertising in the in the market? Absolutely. Um, we review advertising, and today for most landlords that means online advertising. And, um, you know, it, Craigslist is a wonderful place to find people who have violated the law. <laughs> and um, I think a lot of people feel like they're writing emails to friends rather than understanding that they're putting a commercial ad out there when they advertise rental property on Craigslist. So we find ads that actually restrict based on race, based on religion, people who say they're looking for a good Christian family, not understanding that anyone who's not Christian has been just told you, they're not interested in you. Um, and a lot of issues about um, folks who don't understand that it's illegal to turn down, to say no kids, to turn down families because they have children. Um, it's been illegal for the last 21 years in the United States, but it's amazing the number of people in the landlord business who just don't know that that's the case. So it sounds like part of your mission, and from what I know, is, is also education. Absolutely. Um, which is why I'm here today. I would much rather not have to find people um, discriminating and have them not do it. 
particularly the Craigslist ads. I mean, we have filed cases against folks that put discriminatory, discriminatory ads on Craigslist who basically didn't know it was the law. Well, that's not an excuse under the law to say I didn't know, but I would much rather have them be knowledgeable up front and not do it rather than having to chase them down and take enforcement action. And from what I know, the enforcement action, if someone is is really breaking these laws, it's going to be a pretty severe penalty. Yes, there can be very severe liability um, for someone breaking the laws. Um, You know, basically, these are cases that can either go administratively to HUD, um, which has enforcement power, um, or they can go straight to federal court. And the federal courts will grant damages and often punitive damages if they decide it was done intentionally. And, um, you know, the judgments can get very, very high. That's, I've heard that the average person who ends up going to a fair housing case can expect to have ten to $20,000 in just the legal costs to fight that in federal court. Is that? Right. Anytime you have a liability issue, you've got to count on the fact that even if you win, you're going to have, you know, you're going to have an attorney's fees. And the amount of damages differ. It depends where you are in the country, you know. Um, there are different standards, but basically you have to pay the person the damages. You turn them down, and if that person ends up being, um, you know, homeless because you turned them down, you have to, you know, you have to basically um, reimburse them for those costs as well as accept the punitive damages involved in it. There was one case that when you talk about damages where it was about a person who was disabled, and it was a very simple thing of being denied a parking space that they needed. And the damages ended up being around a million dollars. And I just could not believe how they got up that high. But basically, this woman was forced to crawl up two flights of stairs in a parking garage in order to get into her apartment. And there was an empty parking space sitting there the entire time. But the landlord just got stubborn and said, no, you can't have it. And so the judge said, "Uh uh-uh, you know, and really slapped him hard. Uh, I want to say... I, I've worked with Elizabeth in the past, and I'm probably a, a regular caller to you. Would you call that? I, I call with questions fairly frequently because my feeling is I'd rather get the answer right and know what I'm doing than find out afterward I did something wrong. And so you know, I encourage all of our listeners who are in the Cincinnati area to feel, uh, you know, Feel free to call uh, Housing Opportunities Made Equal. Your phone number there is? It's 721-4663 or 721-HOME. 721-HOME. Great organization. The kinds of questions, we're going to do some questions here that are real questions that have come up for Elizabeth and her group. And it's uh, I'm probably going to do that after our break. For our listeners outside the Cincinnati metropolitan area, you all have some sort of a fair housing agency in your home, in your town. And, and my recommendation is know who they are and contact them when you've got questions because it's much better to learn to do this stuff right than to pay the price of, uh, of facing the, the, the wrath of a federal suit for breaking housing and discrimination laws. So with that, let's uh, take a break, and we'll be back in a few minutes. Support for WMKV comes from the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati, a nonprofit educational association with programs available for real estate investors at all levels of experience. RIA meets on the first and third Thursdays of every month. More information about RIA and their meetings is available at 859-292-7342. 
Well, we got a new accident in. It is southbound uh, 71 or westbound Fort Washington Way, just outside the Lytle Tunnel. So the center lane is blocked there, westbound Fort Washington Way, just outside the Lytle Tunnel. Center lane blocked. We have our delays. They're in the usual spots as well. Your forecast from the National Weather Service this evening, cloudy skies, a 20% chance of a few snowflakes. Tonight's low around 22 degrees. And tomorrow, a lot like today, mostly cloudy, maybe a flurry or here or two or here and there, with a high around 32 degrees. Uh, Friday, sunny skies. We could warm up to about 35. And then uh, Saturday, a 30% chance of some snow with a high of 35 degrees. Sunday, cloudy, a 50% chance a high of 32, and Monday cloudy with a 30% chance, a high of 35. So I'm not quite sure whether we'll get any significant accumulations through that uh, system, but by next Tuesday, that should be out. Next Tuesday, sunny skies and a high of 35 degrees. Right now, 28 degrees here at 89.3 WMKV. WMKV needs you. Our spring fun drive is coming up, and that means we need volunteers to help out with phones March 10th through March 16th. You can help by calling WMKV today at 513-782-2427. We currently need volunteers for mornings, afternoons, or evening shifts. Meet other supporters of WMKV, have some fun, and partake in the frivolity of the fun drive. We hope you'll call today at 513-782-2427 to grab a phone shift. And thank you for supporting WMKV. Hi, and welcome back. This is Jim Shapiro filling in for Vena Jones-Cox on Real Life Real Estate. My guest today is Elizabeth Brown from Housing Opportunities Made Equal. Elizabeth, we were talking about some issues of uh, discriminatory concerns for folks with disabilities. I've got a couple sample questions that I, you know, that I think are real. Uh, the first one, you know, I heard about a family of a, a woman... Uh, who's applied for a uh, apartment? She's in a nursing home and she wants to rent a one-bedroom apartment for their mother. Uh, the income's okay and, and everything looks good, but the te- the landlord is worried that this individual is not healthy enough to be living alone. And the question was, can can she require a doctor's statement confirming that the individual is able to take care of herself before renting to her? Is what what's the situation in a case like that? The simple answer is no, you can't require a doctor's statement before someone moves in. But um, the whole idea is you can't discriminate against somebody because of their disability. Um, a landlord cannot put a requirement that there be that you be able to live independently um, in order to live someplace. A lot of people have caregivers coming in. You know, in a situation like that, there are some things the landlord could ask. Um, you know, the landlord's concern, they're not the family member. It's not with that. If that was my mother, I wouldn't want to do that. The issues basically are typical issues of housekeeping. Is someone going to be able to maintain the apartment to meet the lease requirements for housekeeping? And so if you know someone's bedridden and they're living alone, it wouldn't be improper to ask, you know, what arrangements have been made for someone to, you know, come in and take care of the housekeeping. But your issue isn't the the health of the person. It's about your property. And so you can ask issues that deal with that. But you definitely can't ask someone to be of a certain healthiness or able to live independently or be able to be active um, before moving into the apartment. 
and it's a funny area because sometimes we're, as a landlord, we're, we're legitimately concerned about is this going to be a good match for this person, um, elderly people in a two-story house where the they have to walk stairs. And yet we really can't ask those sorts of questions. If they go to the house and they see it and they think it's okay, we can't ask them, are you going to be okay with the stairs? Is that right. right. I mean, that's sort of an obvious question. I mean, the stairs are there. They know the stairs there. You may think it's not the perfect place for them, but you don't know what their options are. And it, it could be exactly what they need. And um, so, you know, as long as they're seeing the place, you know, I, you know, you don't want to ask, oh, you're disabled, you can't have this, you know, we, we need to show you something else, or I'm not going to show you this apartment because it's not going to work for you because it has stairs. You can ask somebody if they're looking for something in particular, you know, in the way of housing. Um, but you really can't um, do anything that would discourage somebody because of their disability. Um, and it's it's a fairly simple rule. People get uncomfortable, and I think sometimes almost some landlords have too big a heart, and they become overly protective. They want to be like the social worker or the, the good friend of the tenant. And the whole part is back off. You're not their family. You're not their mother. You're not their child. You're the landlord. And so talk about the properties and let them choose what's right for them. Let me uh, ask another question along that line. What are the landlord's responsibilities for uh, for for accommodations, for individuals who have a, a need? Let's say someone's got a walker or they've got a wheelchair and they're they're looking at a house that um, maybe has a, a couple steps to get up. Is the landlord in a position where they might have to build a ramp or... Uh, how, what's the what's the situation right. in a case like that? Generally, the way the federal law uh, puts it, that the landlord's not responsible for those modifications, but the landlord has to allow the tenant to do it, even though it's your property. In the example you gave, it's a house, it's a single-family house. They need a ramp. Um, they have to pay for it, but they can put in a ramp. You can't say, no, that's an ugly ramp. I doubt you. I'm not going to let you put it on my property. Um, the best thing is if there's some back and forth, the landlord clearly can say it has to be of workman quality. You can't put up a piece of junk that doesn't, you know, that is going to be dangerous. So you can put some standards in there, but you can't tell them no, they can't do it. Um, becomes particularly obvious when it's not a move-in so much as if it's somebody that's been living there and was in an accident and is going to need some modification in order to come back home. Um, and so, although they have to pay for it, you don't have to pay for it, um, you can't tell them, no, they can't do it. I had a case last week where actually someone called me up and they were in a wheelchair and they were asking about one house, and I knew I had a couple others that might also, there were one-story ranches. Is it okay for me to say, hey, you might, you know, you might want to look at my website, there's a couple other houses that might be matches for you? Am I at risk there of steering them somewhere right. else? Steering is an issue that makes people really uncomfortable. Um, steering is the whole idea of the housing provider, whether it's a landlord or a real estate agent, um, suggesting to people that there's a better place for them to live, sort of making the choice for them rather than letting the family make the choice. And it's not that you can't say anything in that regard, but you have to be very sensitive to the fact that you can't steer. You can't tell people there's a better place. But if someone calls you and asks about the house, you show them the house. And there's nothing wrong with saying, I have a couple other things you might be interested in also. 
um, why don't you look on the website, and these are the ones that you might want to see. Okay. Uh, thank you. Let me uh, stop for one second here and uh, remind everyone our contact information. And we are set up to get emails right now. Uh, you can send us email online at askvina at gmail.com, askvina at gmail.com. And you can call us at 513-772-9658 or toll-free outside the Cincinnati area at 877-772-9658. Let's let's move on to a a different subject. Uh, You know, there's a lot of people renovating homes, and they're waiting to resell them when the market recovers. Uh, I've got one question here. Uh, I've just remodeled a nice three-bedroom home. I'll be renting it until the market recovers, then I want to sell it. In order to reduce wear and tear, can I limit the rental to families with no more than two children? And again, the simple answer is no, you can't. Um, it takes, you know, it is discrimination when you treat families with children differently, and setting occupancy standards that are unreasonably low is considered to be discrimination against families with children. You're telling them they can't rent there. Um, you're allowed to set reasonable occupancy standards, and the general guideline for that is two people per bedroom. So if you have a three-bedroom house, if you're setting a standard that's less than three people, uh, less than six people, um, then you may have an issue. And it's people, whether they're adults or children, it's less than six people, you may very well have an issue. Now, it's not a hard and fast rule. If you have a property that maybe has tiny bedrooms, you could, you know, make that standard a little bit less. Or if you have a house that has extra rooms and family rooms, even the two people per bedroom standard may be low. So there can be a case where people can say, we want to use the family room as a bedroom or we want to use the dining room as a bedroom. And to say no to that, potentially we're engaging in a discriminatory practice? Well, I, it's not so much what room that they use. It's, you know, the, the general standard is the number of bedrooms. Okay. And if you have a three-bedroom house, you know, that would be two per bedroom would be six people. Now, where those people choose to live, and this is an area where landlords start counting the age and sex of kids and, oh, no, you can't do that because of that, that clearly is something that's not the landlord's business where people sleep. Um you know, the ones that get harder when you have really small properties, you have a one-bedroom, you know, and you have a mother and a child that want to live there. And that's two people per bedroom. If it was a couple, you'd probably rent it. And you can't say no if it's a mother and child, even if that child is a 16-year-old boy, you know. And if one of them chooses to use the couch in the living room as the place they sleep, you know, that's their business, not yours. Can a landlord – so a landlord – the questions come up about there's two or three teenage children of mixed gender. Uh, is it? It's not the landlord's decision whether or not that 17-year-old boy and 16-year-old daughter are sharing a bedroom. That's again, absolutely not. That's okay. you know that's that's not your business. That's the family's business. And um, again, I mean, from the landlord's point of view, you can set reasonable occupancy standards. You know, there's nothing that says you have to accept a huge number of people in that house. But reasonable usually means, you know, two people per bedroom. Okay. Well, uh, let me again remind everyone we can get emails now. 
at uh, askvina at gmail.com. And if you have your questions, we'll look forward to seeing them. Also, uh, our phone number is 772-9658 in the Cincinnati area or nine, excuse me, 877-772-9658 outside the, the region. Uh, let me uh, move on to another question. Uh, here's an example. Uh, a family owns a, a four-family unit and recently rented an upstairs apartment to a young woman with an infant. The downstairs tenant has been there a long time and is complaining about the baby crying. What is the landlord's ability to, to do something? Can they give a warning to the tenant upstairs that the baby is making noise and it's disturbing other tenants? Uh, what, 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 what's the situation in a case yeah. like that? In a case like that, the poor landlord's in the, caught in the middle. And I'm, <laughs> I'm very sympathetic. Noise issues between tenants just are, are amazingly difficult. Um, and I think a lot of landlords would do well to put in better carpeting or padding or something to, to stop those problems. But, you know, the, the fair housing answer to the question is if the infant's crying is normal crying, babies cry and kids make some noise. And if it's considered well within the range of what happens with young people, then no, the landlord cannot take action against them, um, you know, to, to threaten to evict them or tell them if they don't be quiet, the baby doesn't stop crying, they're going to have to leave. They have to accept the fact that normal children noise, um, you know, is part of, you know, something that, that happens in families and that the neighbors have to be willing to put up with. But it raises a whole issue, Jim, of, of how do landlords deal with those neighbor-to-neighbor issues um, and helping neighbors understand each other and um, talk back and forth. And we often see issues of harassment where the, na- the landlord, again, is caught in the middle because you have a neighbor's harassing, you know, often because of race or um, because of some other, you know, often it's um, national origin we have an Hispanic um, family in town that is being harassed terribly by their next-door neighbor. These are single-family houses, and they can't go outside without being screamed at and called names. And, um, you know, the landlord really does get caught. Um, we're lucky here in Cincinnati that there is a, a housing mediation service that sometimes can help these issues. But they can well become fair housing issues. Um, you know, if you are harassing someone with the intent of making them leave, you know, then you have violated the fair housing laws. Um, we have a cooperating attorney that just filed a federal a case in federal court in Cincinnati against a neighbor, a next-door neighbor, um, for racial harassment. And it was a landlord that brought the case to our attention in the first place. She'd had two other tenants chased away by this neighbor, and the one that was there now was, was tough and did not want to put up with it, but she was living a miserable life. And um, the only way that we could find to back the woman off was to actually file the case against the neighbor. Wow. Well, this is an interesting subject. I want to follow up on that after our break. And we're about to take a quick break, and we'll be back in a minute. WMKV is proudly supported by the new Kensington Place Apartments at Mabel Knoll Village. The 56 new apartments offer a wide variety of floor plans and access to all the services and amenities available through Mabel Knoll Village. The new Kensington Place Apartments, a place to live an active lifestyle in retirement. More information on the new Kensington Place is available at 513-782-2717. Only one problem on the board right now. It's an accident on Fort Washington Way, westbound, center lane, 
just outside the Lytle Tunnel. So southbound 71, just outside the Lytle Tunnel. Center lane is blocked. We do have delay southbound 71 uh, around 275 to uh, Paddock and from Taft down to the tunnel. North 71 slows up between Smith Edwards and Stewart. And again at Montgomery, South 75, a little slow around Glendale, Milford, down to around Mitchell, and then approaching the Brent Spence Bridge. And northbound 75 slows up around Hopple through Paddock, and you're on the breaks between Glendale, Milford, and 275. Weather forecast this evening, some clouds, 20% chance of precipitation. Tonight's low 22. Tomorrow, clouds and a 30% chance of some flurries, but a high of 32. Then on Friday... Hold on to your hats. We could get above freezing, partly sunny skies, a high around 35 degrees. Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, a little precipitation in the forecast uh, each day. Highs around 30 to 35, but uh, the word accumulation is not in the weather services forecast, and so we'll take them at their word. Right now it's 29 degrees here at 89.3 WMKV. And real-life real estate investing continues after this. Support for WMKV comes from the Cincinnati Arts Association, presenting the Peking Acrobats at the Aronoff Center on Friday, February 19th at 7.30 p.m. Accompanied by live musicians, these Chinese acrobats perform daring maneuvers and precision gymnastics with uncommon agility and grace, creating a festive pageantry of a Chinese carnival. Tickets at the Aronoff Center box office, 513-621-ARTS, or at CincinnatiArts.org. Hi, and welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. This is Jim Shapiro filling in for Vena Jones-Cox. She's in sunny Florida right now. I bet it's warmer there than it is here in Cincinnati. Uh, my guest today is Elizabeth Brown from Housing Opportunities Made Equal. And uh, let's go back to some of our questions we've been talking about, uh, issues of neighbors and uh, folks getting along. Now, in Cincinnati, there's a mediation organization, Housing Mediation Service. What, what is their role and working with uh, the kinds of questions that come into your office, there are they are a wonderful tool. Actually, the um, the mediation service was set up um, jointly between Home and the Apartment Association, and then a little bit later, the RIA org- the local RIA organization joined in. So the three of us now jointly sponsor it, put a little bit of money into it, and there are professional mediators that are available at no cost to landlords and to tenants and to neighbors to police departments, to try to work out issues. Um, And having that face-to-face, that ability to have a professional mediator sit there and let you have your say and you're talking to the other person, very often people can get to the heart of the issue. They begin to understand each other. Well, gee, I didn't know that's why you were doing that. I thought you were just crazy, you know. And <laughs> and they can work things out many times. We home refers a lot of cases to mediation, and they get resolved rather than having to go into some sort of legal, you know, enforcement action. Um, works particularly well with the people with disabilities when there's issues of making accommodations or changing procedures a little bit for them. It's a good way to work things out. Um, you know, I was talking about the harassment issue, Jim, and I think it's important for people who own property to understand that they also can be victims of housing discrimination. 
And in the case I described, that landlord that had tenants chased away by a neighbor because she didn't want black people living next to her, they had a claim under the Fair Housing Act that they could have pursued if if they choose to do so. I mean, you have been harmed when that happens. You've lost money because that's happened. And you basically, you know, have a, a claim under the Fair Housing Act. Um, and I would hope more landlords would pursue that because it's very hard for the tenants to do. You know, the tenants get up and leave when their life becomes um, like that. The, the landlords, though, they've got the property. They're there. They're staying. Right. I could tell you, I've had... Uh Two cases like that with cl- properties I manage for clients. And in both cases, we asked the tenants if they would be willing to work with home and pursue this and, and stand up to the neighbors that were harassing them. Uh, in both cases, it was racially oriented. Uh, one man, a very nice man, uh, worked at a, was building a great business, lived in the Western Hills area. And people drove by his house all the time and yelled racist epithets at him. And... He, he eventually moved, not because of that, and yet he, he just wasn't quite ready to, to turn it into a big fight. And, uh, and, we, and he, actually, after he moved, he regretted it. Mm-hmm. Another tenant had the same thing. Uh, her daughter was dating someone uh, of a different ethnic background, and the neighbors didn't like it, and they harassed them over it. And they moved, and they called me afterward and said, you know what, we're sorry, we didn't stand up. We loved that house. It was a great house. We haven't, the place we moved to isn't nearly as nice. We shouldn't have let those those racist neighbors chase us out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's well, frustrating. Well, even if your tenant doesn't choose to file, you know, a complaint. So a landlord could actually A landlord it. can file the complaint if they have lost a tenant, lost, they've been damaged, they've lost money because of the, the a- actions, the discriminatory actions. The interesting thing about the Fair Housing Act is that Almost anyone, you know, can be a victim under the act. It's not specific to a tenant or somebody like that. A neighbor, you know, can actually file a complaint based on the fact that someone's trying to keep, um, you know, African-Americans out of their neighborhood. You know, it's been the courts have been very generous with who's allowed to file because it is such a difficult issue to deal with. And the vast, vast majority of people who know they've been discriminated against in violation of laws will not say anything and will not file complaints. Um, And then it just continues to happen to other people. So it's it's really important. All right. I've got a question that came in over the Internet. And before I. Go to that. Let me just quick remind everybody. Uh, we can be reached uh, at askvina at gmail.com or you can call us directly at 513-772-9658 in the Cincinnati area or toll free from outside the metropolitan region at 1-877-772-9658. So I've got a question from Robert in Hudson. Is there anything wrong with not advertising a specific rent amount and asking every tenant what they want to spend, assuming you do it the same for everybody. Um, you know, on its face, it sounds, you know, the question is worded in a way where it doesn't sound like there would be an absolute um, violation of the Fair Housing Act. He's not treating, and he has not made the decision that he's going to treat people differently because of their race or their religion or their family size. However, I would warn somebody like that, when you do that, you are opening yourself up to misperceptions of people that they're being treated unfairly. 
Um, if you quote a rent amount, when it seems like you're quoting it, but if they're quoting one rent amount to you and somebody else, you'd be charging something different for the same property. People begin to wonder why that is. We get a lot of calls from people, you know, where the landlord just opened themselves up to all kinds of questions because they weren't upfront about what they were doing, what their criteria was. Um, and so people came away feeling that they had experienced discrimination. He didn't want me there because of this or that. Um, he's charging me more rent than other people. You know, why is that? I'm the only black in the complex. It must be because of race. So I would warn somebody like that, that although the practice automatically would not be um, a violation of the Fair Housing Act, I think he's opening himself up to a lot of trouble by doing it. Uh, I'll tell you, that's an interesting question because I had someone call me last week and say, can they do that in Cincinnati? So they were uh, they were looking to sell a house and they were trying to find out what someone could afford as a down payment and as a monthly payment. And they were just going to kind of leave it open. So this is a you know, interesting, timely question. I've got another question from Nathan here in Cincinnati. I have a seller who wants to sell me multiple tenant-occupied properties rented on a month-to-month basis. What are the top things for me to watch out for from a fair housing perspective? What Are, are there any risks that he's exposed to as he's taking over a property that already has tenants in place on a month-to-month basis where everything could change on a 30-day notice. Right. Everything can change on a 30-day notice. And the the issue becomes, you know, when you start making changes, you're going to be a different landlord than the previous landlord is was, and you may have different procedures or different things, and that if you start applying those in a way that are perceived to be treating people differently because of their race or because they have children or because of disability issues... Um, again, you know, you may think you're doing it, you know, just for a business reason, but when it comes down to, if I, as an objective person, look at it and all of a sudden say, you know, he's not renewing the leases or giving 30-day notices to all the African Americans, um, which has happened in some cases, and all the white tenants are allowed to stay, um, you know, again, when you look at the effect of what you're doing, there could be some discrimination involved. So it's just be really clear. I mean, the best thing to tell folks is be really clear on what your criteria are going to be. Um, so there's going to be change. People are going to be nervous about it. So just be upfront about what's going on. And I guess it sounds like consistency, treating everyone the same. You can set a rule and apply it across the board to everyone that you're taking over in a case like this as a new tenant, not selectively applying some rules to one and some to another. Right. Consistency is important, although not carried to the point where it lacks common sense. Okay. Yeah. And I've called you at different times about some of these. Sometimes we're in some very gray areas, and it's really you're trying to do the right thing, and yet it's... Uh, it's not always as cut and dry as, as we sometimes would like as we try to make our decisions. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about another issue that's come up, uh, and I know you've given me guidance on this one in the past. We've got uh, a lot of issues in our community about neighbors not liking subsidized housing, blaming the decline of neighborhoods on subsidized housing, which incidentally I think is, uh, you know, I know how the Section 8 agency is here. They're very strict about their inspections. Some of our worst housing is not the subsidized housing. It's landlords who are in trouble or landlords that don't care. 
what are the issues when a, a neighbors don't like or have, have are asking questions or, or want to know about subsidized housing or who you're going to put into a house and and what are your criteria and do the neighbors have any right to ask those kinds of questions, or do you see those issues coming up? Yes, I, we do see those issues. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of objection to people say it's an objection to subsidized housing, although it's interesting what I observe. It's often in the white neighborhoods that you hear the objections, and it raises questions about whether it's the race of the people moving in or it's really... Um, there are some leaders in the African-American community that would say that the latest code word for African-American is Section 8. Um, but it's important, I think, for your listeners in other areas to realize, Jim, that in some states and in some cities, actually the, f- the fair housing laws, the discrimination laws, protect people based on source of income so that it is actually um, would be discrimination if the landlord turned away somebody because they had a Section 8 voucher. So in addition to the federal rules I've been talking about, there are local rules, source of income rules, that um, make for some people you can't, the land, it's not the landlord's choice whether or not to accept that form of payment. Um, we don't necessarily have that in the Cincinnati area, so it is more of a landlord's choice. And there are neighbors who decide they don't like the new people moving in that will try to pressure landlords. Um, and I think the landlord just needs to be cautious that as a housing provider, you know, you are held to a standard that you cannot discriminate just because the neighbors want you to or because your other tenants want you to. And, um, you know, you're caught in the middle often. But, um, you know, you have to stand up for what the rights are as well as the tenants. All right. Great. Well, uh, a minute we're going to take a break. Let me remind everybody you can email your questions to us at askvina at gmail.com or you can call us at 513-772-9658 in the Cincinnati area or one eight seven 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 two nine six five eight outside our local region. Program support on WMKV comes from the Manor House Restaurant. Located on the campus of Maple Knoll Village, the Manor House offers lunch and dinner, as well as Sunday brunch and weekend buffets. Private party rooms are also available. Information and reservations at 513-782-4300. That's 513-782-4300. Checking on traffic right now. The accident that was on westbound Fort Washington Way just outside the Lytle Tunnel has been moved over to the shoulder, so it's no longer in the lanes of traffic. And uh, that's good news. That's the only real unusual problem that we have on the boards right now. We do have some delays in the usual spots including South 75 around uh, Mitchell and approaching the Brent Spence Bridge, and uh, North 71 around Smith Edwards to Stewart. North 75, of course, slowing up between Hoffle and Paddock, and as it usually does for this time of day, between Glendale, Milford, and 275. Forecast tonight, uh, cloudy skies and some snow showers possible, but no accumulations uh, low tonight around 22. Tomorrow we'll have a few clouds, maybe a flurry or two, and a high of 32 degrees. Friday looks pretty good. Partly sunny with a high around 35, and we'll probably see some snow over the weekend between Saturday and Monday, but at this point, uh, I do not see uh, any significant accumulations listed here. But uh, we could see temperatures back up into the mid to lower 30s. Right now, we're at 28 degrees here at 89.3 WMKV. 
Hi, this is Jim Shapiro. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm filling in for Vena Jones-Cox today, and uh, my guest is Elizabeth Brown. Before I go on, let me just remind everybody, we are sponsored by the Real Estate Investor Association of Greater Cincinnati. And for folks in our local area, I encourage you to go look at our uh, information about our organization at www.cincinnatiria.com. Uh, we are, have a meeting tomorrow, and we meet every two weeks, and we have uh, oh, about a 1,000 members, and we are providing education to real estate investors for over, I guess this is our 35th anniversary. So let me go back. Uh, let me ask Elizabeth a question uh, about children. What other sorts of issues and challenges do you find are coming up in, in the area of landlords and neighbors and, and other tenants with uh, family issues? Yeah. That's probably the biggest problem that we have, and it's it's like I really want everyone to know that it is illegal to discriminate against families with children. There are so many people out there who own property, who are beginning landlords. Um, in Cincinnati, we have a lot of what I call amateur landlords that would do really well to join RIA and begin to get some education. Um, because they don't know that what they're doing is wrong. And the most common thing they don't know is that for the last 21 years, it has been illegal to discriminate against families with children. You cannot say no kids. You cannot put in an ad that this property is not suitable for children. Um, and you can't limit, you know, the size of the family um, in the ads. It's just, I don't know how many ways we can say it. To me, it's the most... It's the most obvious thing about landlords who really don't understand, um, you know, that they haven't looked at the rules. Um, very often when somebody argues with me or that we file an enforcement action, I simply need to say, you really need to consult an attorney. You're in business. You need to have someone you can talk to about the law. And it, it's just really important. And, and go to places like RIA meetings to learn what's happening. All right. We'll come back to that question a little bit more. Let me. Uh, we've got a caller on the line who's got a question. Welcome, John. Yes, uh, I'm a real estate appraiser, and I often you know, scan the inquirer for uh, looking for rental properties to use in my database for my for my uh, appraisal reports when I'm doing rental properties. And occasionally, I run across a couple of uh, of ads for single family homes that, that specifically says no Section Eight, N O Section Eight. And I'm wondering, is that legal? Should that even be allowed in the uh, in the uh, inquirer uh, listings for uh, rental properties, or what's your opinion of that? Yeah, um, what I mentioned before is it's not part; it's not illegal under the Federal Fair Housing Act. So, okay. it, under the federal law, many localities, states, um, you know, cities have added to the protections, and some of them do have protection for what they call source of income. And in okay. those places, it would be illegal to say no Section 8. Okay. Um, but if there's not a local law like that, then it is okay to have that in the ad. I, so, I guess apparently uh, it must be allowed in this area, or the Cincinnati Inquirer would not allow those ads to include that, that statement, I guess, right? I Yes, right. that that is correct. And I, I will say the Inquirer is very, very careful about oh, yeah. greening ads, and we will get calls from people who want to argue with them, and they just tell them to call us to explain yeah. the law to them. Now, the other side of that is, though, that folks who advertise on the Internet, whether it's Craigslist or some of the other online services, they get no screening 
So right. what, whatever you don't know and you put up there, you're liable for. There's no backup for you. Wow. The newspapers provided that backup for people putting ads in. Okay. Because they were also liable. Craigslist claims not to be. Um, there's still <laughs> some legal disagreement about that. But they mm-hmm. claim that that's not for them to do. Um, so, you know, yeah. that's where you're going to find a lot of the ads. But as far as the no Section 8, if there is not a local law about it, that is okay to put in an ad. Okay. Although well, I, that- I will tell you that Section 8 is a pretty useful program for landlords. Um, you know, we, we actually have a program at home where we recruit landlords in suburban areas mm-hmm. um, to take Section 8 because... Um, Folks are looking for good properties and good areas, and it's a it's an assured source of income. Um, you can screen the tenants just like you would otherwise. Um, right, right. And that, that's what I've heard also. Well, well, thank you for that clarification. I just wanted to be sure I understood that. Thank okay. you very much. Mm-hmm. Thank you, John. Uh, now that question of uh, of uh, Section Eight you mentioned, and there, I know there's also a program where. Uh, because they're trying to encourage uh, low-income residents and, and what they call low-poverty neighborhoods, there's a, a additional funds they'll offer up to an additional 10% to put a Section 8 resident in a neighborhood that may not be traditionally Section 8. I think what you're talking about, Jim, is what they call exception rents that HUD can approve Section 8's rents, they don't want to pay more than what the market is. So their whole goal is to pay market rents. And um, the general payment standards are set, though, by metropolitan areas, and everybody knows the rents are different depending on what neighborhood you're in. So in areas that tend to be the low poverty, more expensive neighborhoods to live in, that uh, housing authorities are allowed to ask HUD for permission to pay up to an additional 10% in those areas. And they're very specific areas, and they have to justify doing that based on the costs in those areas. It's called exception rents under the, the Section 8 program. I know. I would. I at one point was working to place a Section 8 resident in a, I guess called low-poverty neighborhood, and since today it was Blue Ash for people in this region who know that. And... One of the questions that came to my mind, and I called you and got an answer, and I'd mm-hmm. like to maybe do it again because maybe our audience would be interested here. I was concerned that someone coming from a neighborhood that had different standards in the neighborhood, moving to a, a, a nicer neighborhood where issues of, of noise, of garbage cans being left out, of litter, are, are, are treated a little differently. They're not the norm. And I was concerned, how do I address those issues with my prospective tenants, or I was hoping actually to get this woman in the house. It, it didn't work out for other reasons. And how do I communicate the expectations without being in any way discriminatory or treating her unfairly? Now, I don't know if you remember the conversation we yeah, had about I, that. Yeah, I think it's a it's a very reasonable thing. And I you've described to me some of the things that you do with new tenants that I think is just fantastic. You know, making sure that they are aware of things that maybe we take for granted. Um, telling someone to mow the lawn is fine, but if, if they're not used to doing that, knowing sort of what the standard expectation is and when and coming by and checking for the first few couple months, you know, is a great way of doing it or making them really clear on the, on the garbage days, you know, not just putting it out there with a thousand other things, but actually making sure that the un- there's an understanding there. And it's not discriminatory at all to, 
give somebody more information than they otherwise would have. You know, what could end up being discriminatory is if you if you held that tenant to a higher standard than you would other sta- other tenants. Um, you know, there was somebody who was telling me, well, you know, if they um, they will if they get a, a, a Section Eight tenant, will do a, a home visit to make sure their you know their housekeeping is good where they currently live, but they don't do that to anybody else. I mean, that's treating people differently and holding people to a different standard. But providing information is wonderful. Providing that type of education, and it's not just pouring it out and talking. It's going by those for a few months and checking in, is everything okay, and, you know, just giving additional guidance. One of the things that I did following our conversation about that was I made sure everything I was going to say was in my lease. Because I consider the lease my training document. Mm -hmm. This is where I tell the tenant what I expect. And as long as I'm giving the same lease to everybody and it has the same expectations, I'm taking care of the yard, taking care of the trash, bringing in the trash pails, uh, noise in, in the neighborhood, uh, you, you told me that as long as I'm doing it the same for everybody, I'm okay. And by putting it in my lease, I was uh, I was setting myself up that I was doing it in a way that was uh, consistent and fair. And if it helped someone who maybe didn't understand those requirements, that's fine. And and I was making the same rules for everybody. So that was a great recommendation mm-hmm. you'd given me at that point. We've got a couple minutes left, uh, just a couple, two minutes. Uh, Maybe, if I could conversation? share, yeah, if, if you don't have another question, Jim. Um, I recently had the experience where my, my 20-something son moved out of town and was looking for an apartment. And um, it was very interesting to me, and I, I felt a need to to share it with folks that I know who are landlords, that while he was looking at apartments, he was interviewing the landlord. You know, we think of it so much from the perspective of the landlord choosing the tenant, but he rejected certain apartments that were in the right location and the right price for him because he thought the landlord was a little flaky or a little uncertain about what was going on or in one case handed him, you know, a two-page list of rules, half of which were handwritten and, you know, didn't seem professional. So he turned down places that were great apartments um, for that reason. And um, I just hope when people are doing all this judging, you know, about the tenants that they realize that they're being judged at the same time. And our market's different. But right now we have more of a market where tenants have a lot of choices. And um, what the landlord does can really make an impact on whether they have vacancies or not. All right. Well, we've just got a, a little time left, so I want to take a minute and thank Elizabeth for joining us today. And Elizabeth, would you repeat the phone number to call home? Right. Housing Opportunities Made Equal, the number is 513-721-4663, 721-HOME. 721-HOME. Uh, in Cincinnati, I encourage landlords and, and folks who have questions to call home. They are great. They've given me so many answers to things and, and really helped educate me. Our folks in other parts of the country, find your local housing authority or, or, or fair housing agency. Uh, they all may have different names, and if you Google fair housing in your community, you, you'll find it. Great resource. Learn the rules. Uh, develop a relationship with that organization. They are they're there to help us and protect us, as well as uh, you know when we're educated and we do things right, we can save a lot of problems. So, thank you all very much. And next week, Vina will be back. So, look forward to uh, next week. Have a great week between now and then. 
is 89.3 WMKV, Reading, Ohio. Let's join Fox 19 News in progress. Ring at the National Flag Company in Hamilton County. The people in the 1st Congressional District deserve better representation.